Hi there, just a quick message to say that the show now has a Patreon page. So if you find what I'm doing valuable, consider supporting the show on Patreon. There are costs associated with running the podcast. Your money will go towards hosting, equipment and software, which will give me the freedom to create a greater quantity and quality of content. I'll provide a link in the show notes or you can just search for Condensed Matter on Patreon.com. In recognition of your support for the show, you'll get the opportunity to suggest articles and guests for future episodes. Thanks so much for listening, and I hope you enjoy the episode. Welcome to Condensed Matter, condensing recent work in metaphysics and the philosophy of science down to what matters. I'm your host, Sam Kinton Knight. focus of this episode is E.J. Lowe's The Rationality of Metaphysics, published in Synthase in 2021. For many philosophers, metaphysics is a pejorative term. As Lowe points out, anti-metaphysical sentiment thrived from about the time of Hume and Kant up until the second half of the 20th century. But even today, metaphysics conducted in earnest is often met with suspicion and scorn. Perhaps in an attempt to acquire more widespread credibility, A large amount of contemporary metaphysics claims to be naturalistic or continuous with science. There are two broad ways in which metaphysics attempts to gain credibility by aligning itself with natural science. One is by focusing inquiry on issues arising directly from science and using science itself to inform this inquiry. Examples may include work on the metaphysics of physical properties, laws of nature and interpretations of quantum mechanics. The other is by employing what would seem to be an important aspect of the scientific method, namely inference to the best explanation, to develop and evaluate metaphysical hypotheses. E.J. Lowe unapologetically embraces metaphysics as an autonomous and indispensable mode of inquiry into the fundamental nature of mind-independent reality, and reproaches what he calls false friends of metaphysics, the naturalistic metaphysicians who see metaphysics as in some ways subordinate to science, or reducible to mere conceptual analysis. So, instead of allying metaphysics with the natural sciences in one way or another, as has become popular among contemporary naturalistic metaphysicians, Lowe sees metaphysics as more on a par with mathematics or logic, though the subject matter of metaphysics, according to Lowe, is not the inferential connections between sentences or numbers, but the fundamental structure of reality as a whole. Lowe begins by considering some famous pronouncements of the death of metaphysics. Putnam and Van Vrassen argue that the respectable kind of metaphysics associated with Quine, which restates the question, what is there in hygienic form, has deteriorated. Putnam is concerned that there is no unique, true way of dividing up the world such that we may answer the Quinean question of what there is. The example he uses to illustrate this imagines a small world containing just three particles. The problem here is that we cannot say if there are three objects in this world, the three particles, or seven objects three particles plus four different myriological sums of those particles. Van Vrassen, on the other hand, argues that the analytic metaphysician, concerned with what there is, invents a vocabulary that bears little resemblance to everyday language and hence is engaged in debates with no relevance to what the folk or the scientists care about. Lowe's response is to say, so much the worse for Quinean metaphysics. His concern in this paper is thus to articulate what he sees as the proper nature and role of metaphysics. What, then, is metaphysics about, according to Lowe? 
In a sentence, Lowe thinks metaphysics is about the fundamental structure of reality as a whole. The old Quinean question, what is there, hardly scratches the surface of this ambitious endeavour. The obvious question at this point is, how is metaphysics, conceived of as inquiry into the fundamental structure of reality as a whole, possible? Lowe is explicit that he thinks metaphysical claims about the fundamental structure of reality cannot come from empirical science, contrary to what some naturalistic metaphysicians may wish to maintain. The primary reason for this is that science is divided up into different sciences, physics, chemistry, biology, and perhaps more, each of which concerns only a limited domain or aspect of reality. Neither does Lowe think that metaphysics proceeds just via conceptual analysis or investigation of meanings, since we cannot get at the structure of reality as a whole just by analysing concepts or language. Indeed, Lowe thinks that any suggestion to this effect gets things precisely the wrong way around. This semantic conception of metaphysics presupposes various word-to-world relationships, but it is the contents and nature of the world that is at issue. So metaphysics, as conceived by Lowe, must precede semantics. One may respond that we have no access to the world as it is, except via our language and concepts. But this move, Lowe thinks, is just a retreat to scepticism. Lowe adopts an optimistic, anti-sceptical view of metaphysics as, in a very broad sense, envisioning the sorts of things that there could be in the world, and what these things are like, and then developing arguments for and against the actual existence of these things. Again, Lowe thinks this can be no task for empirical science because of its siloed nature. I think it's necessary to quote Lowe at this point. He says, Each science pursues truth within a limited domain, but reality as a whole is unified and truth about one part of it cannot conflict with truth about another part. Only a discipline whose proper subject matter is the fundamental structure of reality as a whole can have the authority to adjudicate whether the theories and findings of one empirical science are consistent with those of another, and that discipline can only be metaphysics. Returning to the issue of how metaphysics so conceived is even possible, Lowe thinks that this is itself a metaphysical question, and perhaps one of the hardest questions in all of metaphysics at that. It would be unfair, he thinks, to have to settle such a question before just getting on with the business of doing metaphysics. After all, Lowe says, no one makes similar demands of mathematicians or physicists, they just get on with their work without having to first explain how it is even possible that they can pursue their disciplines. Lowe calls his positive proposal, according to which metaphysics investigates the fundamental structure of reality as a whole, formal ontology. This is emphatically not meant as the claim that metaphysics should be primarily concerned with applying formal methods of, for example, logic and set theory, to ontological questions of what there is. Indeed, Lowe thinks that such an approach has led many analytic metaphysicians drastically astray. For example, it has been said by certain formally inclined metaphysicians that properties are, or are representable by, functions from possible worlds to sets of individuals existing in those worlds. But Lowe thinks that it's incredibly implausible to say that properties really are such functions, in the sense that these functions give the essence of what it is to be a property. Properties, Lowe argues, belong to a very different ontological category to functions, and have very different existence and identity conditions. Another example that Lowe discusses is modality. The formal apparatus of quantification over possible worlds has proved fruitful in certain respects, but, according to Lowe, this surely cannot get at the true nature of modality. To make this point, Lowe considers the fact that if possible worlds exist, then they possibly exist. But if possible worlds possibly exist, then they must exist at some possible world, and this seems incoherent. So whatever utility possible worlds may provide, 
they cannot really be getting at the true nature or essence of modality. Metaphysics, then, is the study of the fundamental structure of reality. This proceeds by envisioning what things could possibly exist and what the essences of those things are, and then devising arguments for and against the existence of such things. This is formal ontology, not in the sense of applying formal methods to ontology, but in the sense of being primarily concerned with ontological form. This is not to be confused with or assimilated to conceptual analysis, because it does not take our concepts to be its primary subject matter. Rather, it's concerned with concepts only in the normative sense of improving our concepts or making them more accurately represent the mind-independent world as it is in all its formal ontological glory. This paper is a very bold statement and defence of a controversial view of metaphysics. I think Lowe is right to emphasise that the sort of metaphysics that is resigned to concerning itself just with the analysis of language and concepts and gives up all hope of latching onto mind-independent reality is a sceptical retreat. And I like the idea that semantics, which charts the various word-to-world relationships that exist, must have something to say about the nature of the things in the world that are the relata of these relationships, and hence, that one cannot straightforwardly replace metaphysical problems with semantic ones. I also liked Lowe's critique of applying formal methods to metaphysics. We should be wary of the apparent respectability conferred by formalisations, and we should worry about the potential distorting effects that these formalisations may have. Now, I'm sure Lowe is right that giving up on the possibility of metaphysics as an a priori route to knowledge of the mind-independent world does deserve to be called scepticism. But I still find it hard to shake the worry that scepticism is the only option here, because it's very difficult to see how the a priori methods that Lowe advocates could really glean the fundamental structure of reality as a whole, whatever that is. Lowe says that this kind of criticism is unfair because we don't make similar demands of mathematicians and physicists. We don't insist that they say how their disciplines are even possible before getting on with their work. But it seems to me that there's a disanalogy here. Physics and mathematics have some practical upshots. They can be used to fly us to the moon and build bridges. These practical successes seemingly justify the methods of these sciences, but unfortunately it doesn't seem as if anything similar can be said about a priori metaphysics. We do have to be careful here, however, because there's much work in mathematics and physics with no obvious practical upshots. I have in mind examples such as the foundations of quantum mechanics and certain projects in number theory. Can mathematicians and physicists working in these areas rely on the successes of their more practically minded colleagues to justify their own pursuits and methods? One would certainly have to provide some argument to the effect that they can. I partly agree with Lowe's normative understanding of conceptual analysis, or perhaps conceptual engineering is more apt to metaphysics. I think that it's a worthwhile task for metaphysicians to build useful new concepts and to improve old ones, and I think that metaphysicians are quite good at doing this. What I'm unsure about, however, is to what extent the goodness of our concepts is a wholly objective matter that is settled by the mind-independent structure of the world. What seems more likely, to me at least, is that how good our concepts are is essentially a function of our relationship to some aspect of the world, but it's hard to see why we should think that any aspects of the world are objectively more privileged than others. If our biological or psychological makeup was sufficiently different, what would count as a good concept would be different too. Perhaps good concepts latch onto different aspects of the world, depending on who they're being used by. But I don't think this needs to be understood as a full-on retreat to anti-realism or pragmatism, because the world still plays a role, and there's still some optimism that we are, in a sense, able to latch onto the world with our concepts. Thanks for listening to Condensed Matter. Please rate and review the show on your favourite app so that more people can find it. 
There's also a link to the show's Patreon page in the episode notes. Your support will help towards the costs associated with hosting and production and will lead to improvements in your future listening experience. Patrons of the show will also get the chance to suggest articles and guests for future episodes. 